0: Well good morning, morning. morning. I did have my two week doctor's visit on Tuesday and everything is uh, just as it's supposed to be going well, so I got these nifty vertebrae that have all been tied together with a titanium plate and uh, all that's supposed to grow together and so what I've told Cindy is uh, the no direction is going to work just fine but the yes direction is going to be a little constrained here so just going kind to of change our relationship and dynamics a little bit. So if you can load up the the PowerPoint slide. So we're celebrating Easter today or Resurrection Sunday as some people like to call it. Now Clara asked me to teach on Easter several months ago before actually I knew I was going to have surgery and uh the idea was we were continuing with this series that we've been going through called the Good and Beautiful Life. And my topic uh was to be Avarice. Yeah. Yeah, what's avarice? I didn't know either. So I went uh, onto the dictionary and looked it up, and it turns out avarice means excessive or insatiable desire for wealth or gain. Now, in our consumer-oriented American culture, it's probably a topic worth talking about for followers of Jesus, but maybe not on Easter Sunday. So when Claire and I understood this, um, she asked us that instead I would teach about the outward significance of Resurrection Sunday. Now I'll tell you every just about every Sunday today being no exception, you're going to hear somebody from the front saying that we are a relationship based church seeking to connect people to God, to one another and to our community. It is a, uh, it's a slogan, it's a mantra. it's something that we hear every Sunday. And we use a framework here called UIOF. It took me a long time to master those four letters, the acronym. It stands for upward, inward, outward, forward. And this is how it goes. Upward has to do with our relationship with God. Upward, right? This has to do with the great commandment to love God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. Inward is how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. And if you've been through the Vineyard Basics, you'll hear it talked about as the great community. This idea that God has brought people together in relationship with himself and with one another to experience life in community. Forward has to do with our growth and our spiritual development into mature followers of Jesus. And if you think about The Good and Beautiful Life, is, this is exactly what the series is about, It's developing more maturity in being followers of Jesus. And outward relates to connecting others with God. Those outside the church, those, in, those who are near to us, like friends and neighbors and family, coworkers, and those who aren't so near to us, maybe those on other parts of the world, marginalized, poor people, etc. Some who have never heard about Jesus. So this has to do with the Great Commission, Jesus' instruction to his followers to go and make disciples of all the nations. So when I say, the voice looking down is kind of interesting here. <laughs> I might have to raise this up a bit more. When I say the outward journey, I'm talking about the process by which those who are followers of Jesus share their experience of Jesus with those who have not yet become followers of Jesus. And that experience the Bible calls good news. So the question maybe on the table is, what's Resurrection Sunday have to do with the outward journey? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do, let me just pray. So, Father... um, Randy prayed it well, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate what it means that Jesus has come and laid down his life for us, and that his resurrection signifies that his sacrifice was completely acceptable to you as payment for our sins, and we thank you for that. We thank you that forgiveness is available through Jesus, and we thank you that a relationship with you is available. And I pray today, Lord, that the words that I share would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts life and truth, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would indeed open our eyes to see that which we need to see and to understand that which you would have us understand this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your unfailing love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to try to see how this works. All right, nothing went flying off there. That's a good sign. Okay, now, clicker. So, if I asked you, what's the most important question in life? Think in your mind what the answer to that would be. What are the questions in life that people wrestle with when they try to make sense out of what they see and what they experience and what they feel? So I, I listed some questions that I think of. You know, What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Is this life all there is? What happens when I die? Is there a God? What's God like? Can he be known? And do I matter to God? And if God is good, what do I do about the stuff in my own life that I know isn't really going to measure up to him? Now, I think it's possible probably just to ignore these questions, right? Just to say, well, you know, I'm just going to live. I'm, uh, I'm just not going to pay attention. But I really think that sooner or later we end up having to wrestle with these questions, whether it's when we go through an illness or we lose a loved one, we have some crisis in life, and we just start to wonder, you know, what is it all about really? And I'll tell you that thoughtful people all over the world seek answers to these questions and to similar questions. Now we'll see. Who this is, i got a trigger, quick trigger up here. They find them in many different ways. And quite a few people find that belief in God is at least part of the answer. Yet when it comes to how humans relate to God, pretty much everybody would readily acknowledge that they don't measure up in some way, in some significant way, that there's some issue there, and there's a problem. There's a problem with me and how am I going to relate to my conception of God. Now I'm going to take you on a little world journey here. Here we go. Oh, we're going on to speed there. So, the Kumbh Mela is a pilgrimage of faith in which Hindus gather along the Ganges and Yamuna rivers in northern India, believing that taking a dip during the festival in the waters where the rivers meet will cleanse sins and help bring salvation. It's billed as the largest human gathering on the planet. Up to 100 million pilgrims were expected to bathe in the holy waters during the 55 day festival which ended three weeks ago on March 10th. I said 100 million. So big football game, 100,000 people, right, screaming fans in a stadium. We're talking about 1,100,000 stadiums. That's what 100 million is. Just try to get a conception of that in your mind in one place in a 55-day period. And in 2013, this particular gathering is called the Mahakum. It happens only once every 144 years. So this photo was taken on February 10th, the most auspicious of the six bathing days during the 55-day festival, and it's estimated this, on this day alone 30 million people were going to go ahead and enter the waters. Now, I was impressed by this quote when I came across it about this, uh, by this man, Raj Kumar, because it speaks to the effort that he made to seek forgiveness for the wrongs in his life that he was aware of and to seek blessing for his family. He's a government worker from the state of Punjab in North India. He said, I traveled for three days by bus, train, and foot to reach the festival. I believe a bathe on the most auspicious day will get rid of all my sins and will help secure me and my family's future. seems to me that this is something that most people want. I have a good friend who's a Hindu. He sent me a book this past New Year's. He wasn't expecting to get a book from him. It's called Whispers from Eternity. It's written by a an Indian yogi named Paramahansa Yogananda. And I came across this quote while I was skimming through the book. It, it speaks to the belief in reincarnation and the continuing struggle for self-improvement. It's a little bit tricky to get, but here's what it says. as to As even to a hanged murderer... Thou dost give a fresh opportunity for self-improvement in a new incarnation in which he wears an unrecognizable body and moves in another environment. So may my pity extend to world-forsaken wrongdoers. Now this Yogananda, he was an Indian yogi and guru who introduced many Westerners to the teachings of meditation and yoga until his death in 1952 at the age of 59. On the day of his death, he had attended a dinner for the visiting Indian ambassador to the U.S. at the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles, and at the conclusion of the banquet, Yogananda spoke of India and America, their contributions to world peace and human progress, and their future cooperation expressing hope for a united world that would combine the best qualities of efficient America and spiritual India. Now, I've been to India eight times, and several of the folks in this room have been to India or other parts of the world, and uh, I'll tell you that I think India could benefit from some American efficiency. But at the same time, I think it's fair to say that America could benefit from the spirituality that you'll find all across India, a hunger to know God and to be in right relationship with him. So there's nearly a billion Hindus on the planet, most of them living in India and Nepal, And the devout Hindu seriously wrestles with the questions of life. In Islamic belief, all human beings are going to be called to stand before the divine tribunal. All of their beliefs and attitudes, as well as the record of every last little action that they've performed during their lives, is going to become the basis for judgment. Every human being will have accumulated a book of deeds, both good and evil, during their lifetime, and no one can be fully assured that they'll have enough good to outweigh any bad, and so be assured of going to paradise. And they see the scales there. It's this idea of which way will the scales tip. So the devout Muslim practices the five pillars of Islam, the declaration of faith, there is no God, worthy of worship but God, Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger, the daily prayers, almsgiving, Fasting during the month of Ramadan, and then the pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in their lifetime if it's at all possible for them to do it. Now, there are roughly 1.6 billion Muslims on the planet, most of them living in North Africa and the Middle East and Central Asia, in places like Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan and (laughs) Stanstan. So, too, the devout Muslim seriously wrestles with the questions of life. Now, Buddhism is another of the world's great religions, but it's really more of a philosophy of life than a religion. It's based on the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama, who became known as the Buddha. Buddhism takes as its goal the escape from suffering and the cycle of rebirth, which is called the attainment of nirvana. The Buddhist way of life is love of wisdom, which can be summed up as leading a moral life, being mindful and aware of your thoughts and actions, and developing wisdom and understanding. It emphasizes meditation and the observance of certain moral precepts. Buddhism's main teachings are summarized in the Four Noble Truths, of which the fourth truth is called the Eightfold Noble Path. There's about a half a billion Buddhists on the planet, located mostly in Southeast Asia, and so the Buddhist also seeks to understand life, to, to transcend its sufferings, and to attain nirvana. But it's Easter, one of the most important days of the year for those who follow Jesus. So what does Jesus have to say about the questions of life? Jesus explained his life mission plainly. He just simply said, he came to seek and to save those who are lost. Loss is the word that Jesus used to describe those who are separated from him. To be lost is to be separated from God to some degree, as in having lost one's way in life. And the series that we've been on in The Good and Beautiful Life is really about living that are lost, such as living with anger or living with pride or living with unforgiveness, and then finding in Jesus ways to live the restored and empowered life that God intends for all people. All right. I got that quick quick trigger again. It's a very powerful clicker, but it's a very powerful clicker. <laughs> so this little passage in John 16 is one that I would recommend you become familiar with. It's it's really worth committing to memory. These are Jesus' words. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, the promise to stand after his life on earth ended. Here's what it says. And when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convince the world of its sin, And of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is unbelief in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the prince of this world has already been judged. The fundamental sin of the world, in Jesus' own words, is unbelief in him. It's the basic definition of lostness, of separation from Jesus. It's not believing that he is who he says he is. And when he says righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more, he's speaking of his death, which is coming, his resurrection and ascension to heaven. You know, He suffered at the hands of evil men. He poured out his blood. He was crucified. He died on the cross and was buried in the grave. His resurrection on the third day is the sign that his sacrifice on the cross for the sins of all people was accepted by God as enough. Nothing more is needed to be made right with God. Righteousness is available to all people because Jesus has gone to the Father. The degree to which a person does not believe that righteousness is now available because Jesus has gone to the Father is the degree to which that person is lost. And the problem with being lost is that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming because the prince of this world, the prince of lostness, has already been judged. We're going to return to this passage in a few minutes. But before we do, I want to revisit some of the other belief systems that we've considered this morning and that we thought about the questions of life. This book has a book dedication in it. And uh, here's what it says. This is the Whispers from Eternity. It's dedicated unto Christians... Moslems, Buddhists, Hebrews, Hindus, and all other religionists, in whom the cosmic heart is ever throbbing equally, and unto the multicolored lamps of various true teachings, in which shines the same white flame of God, and unto all churches, mosques, Viharas, tabernacles, pagodas, and temples of the world, wherein the one Father dwells impartially in the fullness of his glory. You know, Jesus has a place in Hindu belief, but he's only one of many ways to find God. And when you just combine this idea of all these different paths with the cycle of reincarnation, you can see why there's maybe no particular urgency to understand and find the one truth with a capital T in this life. Jesus is a venerated figure in Islam, and this this is a, a fact that you can use to bridge conversations about faith with Muslims. But in Islamic belief, the crucifixion and death of Jesus never happened. Now I'm gonna it's on the slide there, but what I'm reading from is a pamphlet that I I picked up here in town at the uh, at an Islamic center. It's entitled "Who Is Jesus," and this is what it says. As the message of Jesus began to gain wider acceptance, a small clique of hypocrites and evil men began to plot against him. Though they abused him, he never renounced his faith in the one God. So in their anger, they plotted to crucify him on a Roman cross. But Jesus slipped away from their grip at the last moment, and all the while they thought they had succeeded. They were sure they had killed him, but God answered Jesus' prayer and saved him from their schemes. Confusion overtook the mob, and they might have killed the man who betrayed Jesus instead. In any case, Jesus escaped their grasp. Then God removed Jesus from this world into another dimension to a place with him, not to return until a later time. This uh, pamphlet is issued by the Islamic um, Council Circle of North America. The pamphlet goes on to say that with their teacher gone, the devoted followers of Jesus tried to maintain the purity and simplicity of his teachings, but they were soon besieged and overtaken by a flood of Roman and Greek influences, which eventually so buried and distorted the message of Jesus that only a little of its truth now remains. Strange doctrines of Jesus being a man-god, of God dying, of saint worship, and of God being made up of different parts came into vogue and were accepted by many of those the name Christians centuries after Jesus. So in Islam... Righteousness is not available because Jesus has gone to the Father. There was no perfect sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for humankind's sins and wickedness. Well, there we go. So, to all these sincere but very different answers to the questions of life, we have Jesus' own words about himself. He said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to God the Father. I am the truth about God. I am the life that is found in God. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Now this is a stumbling point for many people. It's a point in which Christianity is criticized as being too narrow, too exclusive. But really, this is the key of what I want to say today. It comes down to whether people need a Savior or are they able to save themselves. Every one of the belief systems we've considered this morning, and if you think about other ways that people believe, try to make their way through life, I think you'd find the same answer. It comes down to the individual person's effort to relate to God, either to overcome one's karma or to tip those scales in their favor to enter paradise, or to escape that cycle of rebirth and to attain nirvana. In contrast to all of these self-saving approaches, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way to the Father but through me. This is why the fundamental sin of all people is unbelief in Jesus. Against all the other sins that people commit, and think about it, murder, theft, lying, cheating, adultery, drunkenness, lust, The chief sin is not believing that Jesus is God's chosen way to salvation. Now, if we've been fortunate enough to come to know Jesus as our Savior, we could just be satisfied with that. We could say, yay, I believe that. Other people believe other things, but, you know, isn't it enough for me? Isn't it enough just to try to live a good life myself, do the best I can with what I know and to be pleasing to him? And there's more than 7 billion people on this, I'm going to call it, complex, confounding planet. Just one voice amidst the chorus of voices that would give answers to the questions of life. What does God expect me to do about the overwhelming numbers of people who do not see Jesus as their Savior? Well, we could say an awful lot about that, probably enough for a whole other message on a different day. And next week when I do part two of this, uh, of this message, I'll talk a little bit more about it. But I will say that as we follow Jesus and as we experience his goodness and his love, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in us is give us a burden or a concern for those who do not yet believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And uh, Clara shared this recently, but put the burden again on her, Pastor Clara, recently challenging the way that she sees people as she goes and moves through life, goes to the store, gets cut off, whatever. Spirit says, This person was created in my image, and I do not want them to spend eternity apart from me. So we return to the text that I really want to call attention to this morning for Resurrection Sunday, understanding what the outward journey is all about. It not only defines lostness, but it makes it clear how lostness is overcome. The one thing that the eternal God demands of people is that they believe In the one whom he sent. And the one thing that reveals humankind's rebellion against God and its defiance of him is not believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The thief who rejects Jesus and the honest man who rejects Jesus, they're both alike condemned at the great point of what they do with God's Son. This is the one sin that the Holy Spirit brings to the front and emphasizes. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict men and women of this sin and to make them profoundly aware of their need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit does this by producing a deep sense of personal guilt and in particular guilt over rejecting Jesus as God's means of rescue from our sins. You can find a clear example of this in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Peter was speaking to the crowd about their rejection of Jesus. Verse 37 reads, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now I wonder if most of you would agree with this sentiment. I'm not an evangelist. I just don't have the gift of bringing people to Jesus. Right? It's just not my thing. But the passage makes it very clear, you know, it is not our job to convince people that they are sinners in need of a Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit uses our availability for sure, our words and deeds, to do that convicting and convincing. In fact, if you look through uh, the New Testament, if you look through the book of Acts, for example, every instance of people becoming followers of Jesus recorded in the book of Acts came about through the involvement or activity or agency of those who follow Jesus. As far as the scriptures definitely tell us, the Holy Spirit has no way of getting at the unsaved world except through the words and deeds of those who are already saved. It's a sobering thought, but the good news is that it's the Spirit working through us who brings people to the Savior. It's not our clever arguments. It's not our Bible mastery. It's not our charm and good look, for sure. The Holy Spirit not only convicts people of their sin, he convicts them of Righteousness. Now there's a place for Jesus in Hinduism and in Islam. He's highly esteemed in both religions. He's compatible with Buddhism, one of the great teachers of the world. But in none of these other beliefs a to righteousness. But righteousness is now available to humankind because Jesus has gone to the Father. It's available because his blood was poured out on the cross. The offering of his sinless life was the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for all the sins of all people for all time, once for all. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see that Jesus, whom the world condemned as an evildoer, was indeed the righteous one. Though in human terms it seemed as if it was Jesus who was judged on the cross, his victory over death through his resurrection shows that it was the prince of this world who was in fact judged on the cross. And judgment is coming Because all sin, rebellion, and wickedness and the evil behind it have already been judged because of Jesus' victory on the cross. So if you're looking to know the way to God, I'll tell you Jesus is the way. Get to know him and you will come to know the way to God. If you're a truth seeker looking for the true meaning of life, I'll tell you that Jesus is the truth. Get to know him, and you'll come to know the truth about God. If you're looking for life, real life, satisfying life, I will tell you that Jesus is the life. Get to know him, and you will come to experience the abundant life that God intends for all people. The Vineyard Church of San Antonio is a relationship-based church seeking to connect people with God, one another, and our community. And if you're here today and you've never decided that Jesus is God's chosen way to know him, then I would ask you to listen to your heart. See what it may be telling you. If you long to receive the kind of life that can only happen when all of your failings, the wrong things you've done, and sometimes terribly wrong things and embarrassing things, when they've been forgiven and wiped clean, from your life, if that's what you long for, then I believe the Holy Spirit right now is poking at your heart, wanting to communicate. This is such a loving God to give us His precious only Son so that our sins and forgiveness, our sins and wickedness could be forgiven. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that in mercy you would do your mighty work of convicting and convincing anyone here who has not yet realized who Jesus is. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, then I'll tell you this is the day to come into relationship with Jesus. When Peter spoke to the crowd in Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit moved to cut people to the heart, they asked him, what shall we do? And this was Peter's answer. Repent. That just means change the direction of your life. Go in a different direction, a better direction. And be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. And your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I want to ask you all right now just to bow your heads. If you want to become a follower of Jesus this morning, you can simply pray this prayer in your heart after me. Dear Father, I confess that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. I now see that Jesus is your chosen way to be forgiven and to find life. Please forgive me all my sins. I receive your son Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. If you made a decision this morning to become a follower of Jesus, then I want to say, be the first one to say, praise God for his great mercy. And before you leave this morning, would you approach one of the leaders? You can come see me, you can come see Clara, you can come see Randy, or any one of the leaders up front and tell them, about your decision to become a follower of Jesus. That way we can give you some instructions, some counsel on what you may want to do next. And we uh, we have communion today. The question was when to do it. Oftentimes we do it after the music, but I thought today would be after this message. And uh, we celebrate communion at the vineyard. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to come and share in the communion celebration. And I want to say especially this includes anybody who decided today, this very day, that they want to follow Jesus. You're welcome to come and partake of that. And so I'll ask the folks that are doing the communion to come forward.
1: Amen. Um, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is a cup. Um, It is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you.
2: Today, Jesus eagerly desires to share his meal with us. It has been said that it is in the Last Supper and not in the crucifixion that we find the climax of Jesus' ministry. The crucifixion is essential. It is the way our God defeated the evil of our world and our hearts, the death and the brokenness. But the crucifixion was not an end in and of itself. Jesus defeated our evil and the evil of our world so that all people might be reconciled to one another and to God. Praise God. And so at the Lord's table, all are welcomed. The lost and the outcasts, the addicts and the Pharisees, the broken and the hungry, all are invited to Jesus' feast. No longer as strangers and enemies, but as the family of God. May we all come to the table of Jesus, which he has richly prepared for us. Um, As his family, may we bring others to his table to taste and see his goodness and love, to join his family.
1: Um, here at the vineyard, we practice open communion. Um, so you don't have to be a member of the church to partake, um, in communion, but we ask that all who have chosen to accept Jesus and make him Lord in their life are welcome to share, um, in communion with us. Um, So yeah, after you spend some time reflecting on um, Jesus' invitation and sacrifice for you um, to transform you from being an enemy to a friend of God, um, you can come to one of these three stations um, to partake in the elements. And we encourage you to come in family units or just in groups to partake together. Um, And we can start with this section, I guess, to come up. And then I'll help guide
2: as it comes pray for us and then we can take some time to reflect Lord Jesus um, we thank you we thank you God that while we were your enemies um, you came to make peace with us we thank you God that while we rejected you um, you desired to embrace us to make us your own to make us your family and not just um, something personal between you and us but something between all people God that in Jesus Christ, the Father is reconciling all people to himself across ethnic lines and socioeconomic lines, across every line, God. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you came and made peace, not with words, not with signing a document, but with your own blood. And Jesus, that you came and you broke yourself to defeat our evil, because that's the only thing that could save us. And so, Jesus, we come now to your table We come now to break bread and to drink wine. We come now to be close to you and one another, made possible strictly by what you've done. So Jesus, we we just praise you today. And we do this in remembrance of you. Amen.
3: Stand. You'll come forward to the table. I want us to go all the way around the table. So, this side too, there's space for you here. Squeeze in real tight. Space for you in the table. We have some people come up here on the on the stage be behind these folks here it's a beautiful table and it's a picture of a beautiful banqueting table that you have prepared for your bride Lord Jesus, we believe you're coming back and you're going to take us up as a people with all the peoples of the nations who have loved you. We're going to sit at the table, Lord, and we're going to be your favorite guest. Don't know how you're planning on doing that, but you've got it figured out. been planning it for a couple thousand years. And Lord, we just thank you that we are one. If you all hold hands with the person next to you. we are one body touched and healed by your love and we are one body sent out to heal and to love and Father I pray that you Holy Spirit now would just fill us overwhelming us with your love and Father that we would be known as people who love and that, that would be our brand our mark they loved and Father we just receive your blessing Forgiveness, your cleansing, and your filling to be about your business. And we thank you for raising from the dead and that one day we too will be risen with you. And Jesus, for your sake, in your name, amen. Thank you for coming and partaking with us. And if you are uh, desiring some prayer, please linger here. There will be leaders that will be available to pray for you. And then um, those of you that are not needing prayer, you can congregate over the other side of the curtain, and I'll organize you (laughs) as a little army to set the tables up and get everything. Yes, I will. Okay? The Lord bless you.